how that works? That's how it's supposed to work. What else is in the list? Right at the bottom, Sabbath days. Sabbath days. If we teach that Sabbath is a biblical doctrine, we're wrong. If we hold you to Sabbath, we're wrong. But I do believe it's a good practice to have a Sabbath in principle. I think everybody needs a day off. I mean, before God established Sabbath law, He took a day off on creation week, on the seventh day. And then later, when He established the Sabbath with Israel, it was on what day? Seventh day. And that was what He established as the Sabbath. If your day is Tuesday, your day is... A lot of preachers take off Monday. Right? That, I don't think that has any, uh, has any bearing on your relationship with the Lord or anything. But I think if you don't follow God's principle and take a day off, it'll show in your own health, mental state, and so forth. You need some time off. Even Jesus took time off. Amen? So you know we need to. So that's that. There's no Sunday Sabbath or Saturday Sabbath. That's the only time it's even addressed in the Bible. It's telling you not to judge people when it comes to Sabbath. So Paul isn't attending church here, back in our text. He's evangelizing. You see that? Acts, uh, verses 15 16, again, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And Paul says, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I've got something to say. He, then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. Now, uh, one of the criticisms I've given a lot of preachers is their, their uh, introduction takes up half their message. And th Paul is a great example here. He, does, he gets right to it. There's no 20-minute, you know, oh, well, it's so wonderful to be here, and thank you. And Brother Fred, we go way back. And, you know, they go on and on for 20 minutes before they even start to teach. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. So now in this non-Christian setting, think of that. Paul is standing up and looking at a bunch of people like you, but they're all unsaved people. So he's going to do what? He's going to deliver his first recorded sermon. So let's look at it. Verses 17 to 41. Now, interestingly, Paul begins like Stephen and Peter, taking the Jews through their history. <laughs> it's just, I think it's kind of funny. It's like every time these guys in the book of Acts, they get up to preach, the first thing they do is take you from the Old Testament and they start with Genesis. I think Ken Ham had that idea. Back to Genesis, you know. Well, here's his survey. Look at verse 17 there. The God of this people, of Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an high arm brought he them out of it. So where's he starting there? It's in Genesis. He's starting with, he, he chose Abraham, and then Isaac and Jacob. That's all in the book of Genesis. And then beginning at the end of verse 17 into verse 18. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. That's a very short summary of what you read from Exodus through Numbers. <laughs> and then verse 19. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. That's the book of Joshua. And then verse 20. And after that he gave unto them judges. What book do you think he's referring to there? 
about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. What book do you think we're in now? 1 Samuel. Uh, verse 21, And afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. Verse 22, Then we move into 2 Samuel. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. And by the way, throw in the book of Ruth, tells you how David got here. <laughs> with Ruth the Bo Moabitess and Boaz. And uh, then come the, the, down the line of the uh, genealogy, Jesse and David. Jesse begat David. So from this point, Paul gets right to the point then. The point being Jesus is the Messiah. Pick up there in verse 23. Of this man's seed. Who? Who's, who's seed? Of this man's seed. Who's he talking about? King David. Jesus is called the son of David. David because he's of the seed of David. According to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Cut right from David to Jesus. Uh, one of the interesting fact, uh, uh, points in Matthew 1 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's what you just got from Paul in a nutshell. Took him all the way from Abraham through David to Jesus. <laughs> and now let's just let Paul explain as we continue reading verses 24 through 41. Uh, 24, when John, John the Baptist, had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, verse 25, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. John the Baptist said, I'm not the Messiah. I am not He. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. He's talking about Jesus, obviously. 26, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. He's in the synagogue. Give him a summary of their whole history. And he's saying, this is the message of salvation in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Verse 27, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew Him not. John 1 says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. That's what He's saying right here. Nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day. They have fulfilled them in condemning Him. They didn't know their Bible. Jesus said, if you had known, but they didn't know, Amen. you better know your Bible. People are always saying, how am I supposed to know what's true and what's false? Who's teaching the truth and who's not? Use your brain. Read the Bible. Keep it in context. Respect the dispensations. It's very simple once you do that. Amen. Um, there are some people who always go to one extreme or the other, but when you find some level-headed person who believes the Bible, has a King James Bible that they believe, they read that Bible, they keep it in context, and they respect the dispensations, you've just found a brother or sister in Christ that you can talk to. Amen. Sadly, when they don't hold those views, you can't go beyond the surface and talk to them about things. 
lot of them just look at you and say, well, I don't really believe in that rapture stuff. I think we could be here another thousand years. You're cuckoo. But why are they cuckoo? It's because they don't understand or respect the dispensations and so forth. So he says in verse 27, For they that dwell at Jerusalem... Oh, I already read that. Uh, verse 28, And though they found no cause of death in him, they desired that, uh, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. What do you think Pilate washed his hands? He said... His wife had told him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. I've suffered many things in a dream. <laughs> and Pilate saw he was innocent, so he washes his hands of the whole thing. Verse 29, And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Tree? I thought it was a cross. What are crosses made out of? Wood. And what's wood? Where's wood come from? And how much wood could a woodchuck... I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a Groundhog Day joke. I had to throw that in there. But uh, verse 29 then says, And when they had fulfilled all that was written, that's referring back to all those prophecies called Messianic prophecies. And uh, right over here by Charlie is a chart with a hundred of them, all fulfilled by one man. There'll never be another man who will come close to ever being able to fulfill those prophecies. It's either Jesus or we're all damned. Amen. But it's Jesus. Why? Verse 30, But God raised Him from the dead. We serve a risen Savior. He is alive. <laughs> Verse 31, And He was seen many days of them which came up with Him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are His witnesses unto the people. And you go to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 1 through 6 or 7, and Paul will tell you there's over 500 of those eyewitnesses, and they're mostly all still alive while he's speaking here right now. And so any of these people hearing this sermon from Paul could go out and find those witnesses and talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. In verse 32, And we declare unto you glad tidings. That's the gospel. Glad tidings of good things. Amen? How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, verse 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that He hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my Son, capital S. This day have I begotten Thee. See, that's talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Brother Chuck mentioned Lazarus uh, there were others raised from the dead only to die again. Jesus raised never to die again. Firstborn from among the dead. Verse 34, And as concerning that He raised Him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, He said, On this wise I will give you the sure mercies of David. Verse 35, Wherefore He saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. That's an Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would not have a body that would sit in a grave and rot. Amen. He will not see corruption. Verse 36, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. David died and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption 
So he, his body rotted in a grave. Verse 37, but he whom God raised again saw no corruption. So then the conclusion, verse 38, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. He's preaching the gospel. Write it down. Verse 39, write it down. I know it though. Write it down. Verse 39, And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Keeping the law never saved anybody. The law shows us our need of a Savior. You're not saved by works. As a Christian, you're saved unto good works. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. That's all he's saying here. Verse 40, Beware therefore... I mean, I mean, did I read verse 39? And by Him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. See, I'm not spending a lot of time going through these verses because it's a message. And His message is clear. But it's a message that even most who claim to be Christian don't seem to get. They still rely on their works. They still rely on their church membership. People come to the end of their lives saying, I wonder if I'm going to make it. I hope I'm going to make it. You're a Christian, you say. He did the work. Amen. You're going to make it because He did the work. Amen. <laughs> Verse 40, Beware therefore lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Verse 41, Behold ye despisers and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. That was a warning from the prophets to those who would hear the gospel and reject it. Verse 42, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. How many of you have talked to people like that? They preach, present the gospel. They seem to hear it. You can even see conviction. Let's talk about this again some other time. Now is the appointed time. Now is the day of salvation. You don't know if you're going to be here next week. You understand the gospel. You understand you're a sinner. You understand you need to be saved. You understand God sent a Savior. You understand He died on the cross and shed His blood and paid for your sins. You understand He rose from the dead and conquered sin and death on your behalf. And you understand that if you believe that you can be saved, then you had better do it now. Amen. Don't put it off for a moment. You're not guaranteed another heartbeat. But... That's what they did. With that stark warning, we see the response, beginning in verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So there's a mixed response here. Some of the people believed what they said. Others didn't. In verse uh, 44, and the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the Word of God. <laughs> so here's the big one. They planted the seeds. They got the, the thing going. And now a week has gone by and they're all gathered again on a Sabbath. 
not for church, synagogue. And so things start looking pretty good right here, right? You'd be thinking, wow, revival has come. You know, that kind of thing. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. For every step we've made in ministry, there's always been several who pop up to stop us. There's always people popping up to try to stop what you're doing. Satan isn't going to sit still. You might as well get used to it. If you serve the Lord, Satan is going to have somebody there who's going to try to stop you. The only question is, are you going to let them? No. That's the right answer. Amen. No. Amen. You should be prepared when you start serving the Lord. When that pop-up hits you, thank you, Jesus. Must be doing something right. Amen. Amen. Don't get upset about it. Be encouraged. Obviously, you're on the right path. If you weren't, Satan wouldn't be bothering you. <laughs> Amen? And there is the transition. We keep repeating that word, transition. Only a remnant of Jews will follow Christ from this point on. Isn't it sad? The whole church is almost Jewish at this point. Other than Cornelius and his family, the Ethiopian eunuch and whoever he preached to, there were some Gentiles being saved. But by and large, at this point, it's a very Jewish church. That the Jewish church started very Jewish. The Hebrew roots people kind of have a point there, but then they go off into... Uh, crazyville, but it transitioned into being very Gentile. I mean, you just look around this building, but almost any church you go to, you look around, you'll only find a small number of anybody of any Jewish blood. It's been that way for going on 2,000 years. And verse 46, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. Talking about the Jews. But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now this doesn't mean they never preach to Jews again. Romans 1.16 was written years after this, and Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greeks. Now that just meant that when he went into a town, he went to the synagogue, he preached to the Jews. But every time a remnant would believe, the majority would turn against him, and he would turn to the Gentiles in that city. Over and over. It becomes a theme in Acts as we continue our studies. We turn to the Gentiles. But don't fail to notice this phrase, judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. God has not judged you to be unworthy of everlasting life. He's judged the whole human race unworthy. Amen. Now the question is, will you receive what He's done to save you? And if not, you're judging yourself unworthy. Now, Paul didn't say, you are not elected to everlasting life. He didn't say, you're not chosen to be saved. That's nonsense and heresy. God will save any who will turn to Him by faith in the gospel. Amen. If you are unsaved, listen to this. If you know anybody who is unsaved, listening to this, that person is the problem. God is not the problem. 
It isn't that God didn't choose you to be saved. He's chosen to save all who will believe. If you'll just believe, you'll be saved. And so we come to 47. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And that is a quotation, as we'll see in our study in Isaiah 49. Christians, beginning with Jewish apostles and Jewish disciples, gave, uh, or they were fulfilling the role that God gave to Israel, but against which Israel as a whole had rebelled. God had the nation of Israel with the purpose of being a light to the world. But most have chosen darkness. And as a whole, the nation of Israel rebelled against God and His plan, His desire for them to be that light. That's what Isaiah will see it in our study next week or next couple of weeks. Verse 6, And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant. He's talking to Israel, the nation, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Amen. Jesus is fulfilling that and he's using his church because Israel rebelled and refused to be used. But that'll change after the rapture and the church is gone. It'll be 144,000 Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel. It'll be a nation established at the end of the tribulation and for a thousand years the King of Israel will rule and reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It says the whole earth will be filled with His glory. Coming from Jerusalem and sprouting out throughout the entire world. 48 and 49, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now, we don't have time to get into in, in depth, but as we just said, God has ordained that those who would believe would be saved. And those who believed were saved. And that's what, in verse 49, And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. It doesn't change your free will, the fact that God knew everyone who would believe and everyone who would not believe, and chose to save those who would believe. That doesn't change the free will. It just means that God knew beforehand what would happen. And people have gone off the deep end into that stuff and lost their minds, but we're not going to do that. So this is an important moment that would lead to your opportunity of salvation. If, who knows, you know, play the what if game, but we don't know what would have happened, but if Israel would have turned to Christ right here, history would be totally different. And I don't even know, would we exist? <laughs> That's some deep questions there. <laughs> but because this did happen, and because you are here, it led to your opportunity to be saved. It's also the point that uh, they began what we see today. I mean, it's what's led to the situation we're in today and the major hostility of most Jews against the gospel. All this in Acts has the ripple effects and has produced what we see today. Most Jews today are hostile toward Jesus Christ and the gospel. And that's a sad thing. It's a, we're not happy about it, it's, but it's true. But it'll end at the end of the tribulation <laughs> when he returns. And as we said in Sunday school, 
Zechariah said, they will look upon him whom they pierced. And so verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. And what we do once a Jew or Gentile fully rejects the clear biblical gospel. I want you to pay attention to this. What do we do? How do we respond? When you've preached the gospel clearly, and they have clearly rejected the gospel, well, we'll spend my whole life trying to win them. That's not, not according to the Bible, not according to what we're about to read. Look at verse 51. Read it with me. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. <laughs> there have been people that I have prayed for, I have witnessed to, I've got to where I know they have understood the gospel, they reject it, and most of the time when they do so, they become pretty obstinate and push you away. Don't want anything to do with you. What do you do? Get on with your life. Get on with serving the Lord. Get on with preaching the gospel to those who might hear it, might listen, might be saved. And notice that in spite of many rejecting Jesus, look what their response was. Verse 52, read that. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that a strange thing? These people are rejecting the gospel at this point. They're talking about how the gospel is being rejected, and yet they just shake the dust off and go off with joy, filled with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because that's not my job. That's not your job. Amen. What are we filled with joy about? We've had the opportunity to preach the gospel. We've given them the opportunity to be saved. And that's it. That's all we can do. It's all you've been called to do. It's all you're going to be held responsible for doing. And don't let... Somebody who is a Christ-rejecting fool ruined your life and robbed you of the joy of your salvation. Amen, amen, amen. We rejoice in God's salvation that we enjoy and in God's offer to save those who have completely rejected Him. In spite of that, He would have saved them. And our main concern is with those who have never heard. Amen. So we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. We should be filled with joy in His Spirit as we rejoice in being saved from hell.